This is day 78 of our daily Bible reading. We will be completing 2 Chronicles chapters 19 through 23. Lord God, you love us so much. You have given everything to us. And we are the recipients of grace and life and eternity with you. And the least that we can do, Lord, is to love you for it, to worship you for it, and to do it with the whole heart. Or that we may understand your guidance in our lives, that you would show us that you've already told us what we need to do. We want to know your will, Lord, but you've already told us what your will is, and that's to be obedient to what's in your word and to seek you in your word and in prayer. And Or that we may remember that as we go through our days that we need to start with the basics. We need to go back to the basics. And we need to spend time with you. Lord, make this serious for us all. Make this as serious as life itself, that we spend time with you every day. And that we realize that we have no control over our lives. And help us to remember that as we go through our days. Please bless this time as we enter into your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Then Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, returned in safety to his house in Jerusalem. Jehu, the son of Hanani the seer, went out to meet him, and said to king Jehoshaphat, Should you help the wicked, and love those who hate the Lord, and so bring on yourself wrath from the Lord? But there is some good in you. For you have removed the Asherah from the land, and you have set your heart to seek God. So Jehoshaphat lived in Jerusalem, and went out again among the people from Beersheba to the hill country of Ephraim, and brought them back to the Lord, the God of their fathers. He appointed judges in the land, in all the fortified cities of Judah, city by city. He said to the judges, Consider what you are doing. For you do not judge for man, but for the Lord who is with you when you render judgment. Now then, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be very careful what you do. For the Lord our God will have no part in unrighteousness or partiality or in the taking of a bribe. In Jerusalem also, Jehoshaphat appointed some of the Levites and priests and some of the heads of the father's household of Israel for the judgment of the Lord, and to judge disputes among the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Then he charged them, saying, Thus you shall do in the fear of the Lord, faithfully and wholeheartedly. Whenever any dispute comes to you from your brethren who live in their cities, between blood and blood, between law and commandment, statutes and ordinances, you shall warn them so that they may not be guilty before the Lord, and wrath may not come on you and your brethren. Thus you shall do, and you will not be guilty. Behold, Amariah, the chief priest, will be over you in all that pertains to the Lord, and Zebediah, the son of Ishmael, the ruler of the house of Judah, in all that pertains to the king. Also the Levites shall be officers before you. Act resolutely, and the Lord be with the upright. 
Now it came about after this that the sons of Moab and the sons of Ammon, together with some of the Meunites, came to make war against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and reported to Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, out of Aram. And behold, they are in Hazazan Tamar, that is, in Gedi. Jehoshaphat was afraid and turned his attention to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to seek help from the Lord. They even came from all the cities of Judah to seek the Lord. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court. And he said, O Lord, the God of our fathers, are you not God in the heavens? Are you not ruler over the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in your hand, so that no one can stand against you. Did you not, O our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel, and give it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever? They have lived in it, and have built you a sanctuary there for your name, saying, Should evil come upon us, or sword, or judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry to you in our distress, and you will hear and deliver us. Now behold, the sons of Ammon, and Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you did not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, they turned aside from them and did not destroy them. See how they are rewarding us by coming to drive us out from your possession, which you have given us as an inheritance. O our God, will you not judge them? For we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us. Nor do we know what to do, because our eyes are on you. All Judah was standing before the Lord, with their infants, their wives, and their children. Then in the midst of the assembly, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, the Levite of the sons of Asaph. And he said, Listen, all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, Do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the valley in front of the wilderness of Jeruel. You need not fight in this battle. Station yourselves. Stand and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out to face them, for the Lord is with you. Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. The Levites from the sons of the Kohathites and the sons of the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a very loud voice. They rose early in the morning 
and went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, O Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Put your trust in the Lord your God, and you will be established. Put your trust in his prophets and succeed. When he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who sang to the Lord and those who praised him in holy attire, as they went out before the army and said, Give thanks to the Lord, for his loving kindness is everlasting. When they began singing and praising, the Lord set ambushes against the sons of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah. So they were routed. For the sons of Ammon and Moab rose up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, destroying them completely. And when they had finished the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy each other. When Judah came to the lookout of the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude, and behold, they were corpses lying on the ground, and no one had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found much among them, including goods, garments, and valuable things which they took for themselves, more than they could carry. And they were three days taking the spoil because there was so much. Then on the fourth day they assembled in the valley of Baraka, for there they blessed the Lord. Therefore they have named that place the valley of Baraka until this day. Every man of Judah and Jerusalem returned with Jehoshaphat at their head, returning to Jerusalem with joy, for the Lord had made them to rejoice over their enemies. They came to Jerusalem with harps, lyres, and trumpets to the house of the Lord. And the dread of God was on all the kingdoms of the lambs when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. So the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for his God gave him rest on all sides. Now Jehoshaphat reigned over Judah. He was thirty-five years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem twenty-five years. And his mother's name was Azubah, the daughter of Shili. He walked in the way of his father Asa, and did not depart from it, doing right in the sight of the Lord. The high places, however, were not removed. The people had not yet directed their hearts to the God of their fathers. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat, first to last, behold, they are written in the annals of Jehu, the son of Hanani, which is recorded in the book of the kings of Israel. After this, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, allied himself with Ahaziah, king of Israel. He acted wickedly in so doing. So he allied himself with him to make ships to go to Tarshish, and they made the ships in Ezion-Geber. Then Eliezer, the son of Dodavahu, of Marasha, prophesied against Jehoshaphat, saying, Because you have allied yourself with Ahaziah, the Lord has destroyed your works. So the ships were broken and could not go to Tarshish. Then Jehoshaphat slept with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, and Jehoram his son became king in his place.
He had brothers, the sons of Jehoshaphat, Azariah, Jehiel, Zechariah, Azariahu, Michael, and Shephatiah. All these were the sons of Jehoshaphat, king of Israel. Their father gave them many gifts of silver, gold, and precious things, with fortified cities in Judah. But he gave the kingdom to Jehoram, because he was the firstborn. Now when Jehoram had taken over the kingdom of his father and made himself secure, he killed all his brothers with the sword, and some of the rulers of Israel also. Jehoram was thirty-two years old when he became king, and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem. He walked in the way of the kings of Israel, just as the house of Ahab did, for Ahab's daughter was his wife, and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Yet the Lord was not willing to destroy the house of David because of the covenant which he had made with David, and since he had promised to give a lamp to him and his sons forever. In his days, Edom revolted against the rule of Judah and set up a king over themselves. Then Jehoram crossed over with his commanders and all his chariots with him. And he arose by night and struck down the Edomites who were surrounding him and the commanders of the chariots. So Edom revolted against Judah to this day. Then Libna revolted at the same time against his rule because he had forsaken the Lord God of his fathers. Moreover, he made high places in the mountains of Judah, and caused the inhabitants of Jerusalem to play the harlot and led Judah astray. Then a letter came to him from Elijah, the prophet, saying, Thus says the Lord God of your father David, Because you have not walked in the ways of Jehoshaphat your father, and the ways of Asa, king of Judah, but have walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, and have caused Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to play the harlot, as the house of Ahab played the harlot, and you have also killed your brothers, your own family, who were better than you, behold, the Lord is going to strike your people, your sons, your wives, and all your possessions with a great calamity and you will suffer severe sickness, a disease of your bowels, until your bowels come out because of the sickness day by day. Then the Lord stirred up against Jehoram the spirit of the Philistines and the Arabs who bordered the Ethiopians, and they came against Judah and invaded it, and carried away all the possessions found in the king's house together with his sons and his wives, so that no son was left to him except Jehoahaz, the youngest of his sons. So after all this, the Lord smote him in his bowels with an incurable sickness. Now it came about in the course of time, at the end of two years, that his bowels came out because of his sickness, and he died in great pain. And his people made no fire for him like the fire for his fathers. He was thirty-two years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem eight years. And he departed with no one's regret. And they buried him in the city of David, but not in the tomb of the kings.
Then the inhabitants of Jerusalem made Ahaziah, his youngest son, king in his place. For the band of men who came with the Arabs to the camp had slain all the older sons. So Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, began to reign. Ahaziah was twenty-two years old when he became king, and he reigned one year in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Athaliah, the granddaughter of Omri. He also walked in the ways of the house of Ahab, for his mother was his counselor to do wickedly. He did evil in the sight of the Lord like the house of Ahab, for they were his counselors after the death of his father to his destruction. He also walked according to their counsel and went with Jehoram the son of Ahab, king of Israel, to wage war against Hazael, king of Aram, at Ramoth-Gilead. But the Arameans wounded Joram. So he returned to be healed in Jezreel of the wounds which they had inflicted on him at Ramah, when he fought against Hazael, king of Aram. And Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, king of Judah, went down to see Jehoram, the son of Ahab, in Jezreel, because he was sick. Now the destruction of Ahaziah was from God, in that he went to Joram. For when he came, he went out with Jehoram against Jehu, the son of Nimshi, whom the Lord had anointed to cut off the house of Ahab. It came about when Jehu was executing judgment on the house of Ahab, he found the princes of Judah and the sons of Ahaziah's brothers ministering to Ahaziah, and slew them. He also sought Ahaziah, and they caught him while he was hiding in Samaria. They brought him to Jehu, put him to death, and buried him. For they said, He is the son of Jehoshaphat, who sought the Lord with all his heart. So there was no one of the house of Ahaziah to retain the power of the kingdom. Now, when Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she rose and destroyed all the royal offspring of the house of Judah. But Jehoshabeath, the king's daughter, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him from among the king's sons who were being put to death, and placed him and his nurse in the bedroom. So Jehoshabeath, the daughter of King Jehoram, the wife of Jehoiada the priest, for she was the sister of Ahaziah, hid him from Athaliah so that she would not put him to death. He was hidden with them in the house of God six years while Athaliah reigned over the land. Now in the seventh year, Jehoiada strengthened himself and took captains of hundreds. Azariah the son of Jeroham, Ishmael the son of Yohanan, Azariah the son of Obed, Maasiah the son of Adiah, and Elishaphat the son of Zikri, and they entered into a covenant with him. They went throughout Judah and gathered the Levites from all the cities of Judah, and the heads of the fathers' households of Israel, and they came to Jerusalem. Then all the assembly made a covenant with the king in the house of God. And Jehoiada said to them, 
Behold, the king's son shall reign, as the Lord had spoken concerning the sons of David. This is the thing which you shall do. One third of you, of the priests and Levites, who come in on the Sabbaths, shall be gatekeepers. And one third shall be at the king's house, and a third at the gate of the foundation. And all the people shall be in the courts of the house of the Lord. But let no one enter the house of the Lord except the priests and the ministering Levites. They may enter, for they are holy. And let all the people keep the charge of the Lord. The Levites will surround the king, each man with his weapons in his hand, and whoever enters the house, let him be killed. Thus be with the king when he comes in and when he goes out. So the Levites and all Judah did according to all that Jehoiada the priest commanded. And each one of them took his men who were to come in on the Sabbath with those who were to go out on the Sabbath. For Jehoiada the priest did not dismiss any of the divisions. Then Jehoiada the priest gave to the captains of hundreds the spears and the large and small shields which had been King David's, which were in the house of God. He stationed all the people, each man with his weapon in his hand, from the right side of the house to the left side of the house, by the altar and by the house, around the king. Then they brought out the king's son and put the crown on him, and gave him the testimony and made him king. And Jehoiada and his sons anointed him and said, Long live the king. When Athaliah heard the noise of the people running and praising the king, she came into the house of the Lord to the people. She looked, and behold, the king was standing by his pillar at the entrance, and the captains and the trumpeters were beside the king. And all the people of the land rejoiced and blew trumpets, the singers with their musical instruments leading the praise. Then Athaliah tore her clothes and said, Treason! Treason! Jehoiada the priest brought out the captains of hundreds who were appointed over the army, and said to them, Bring her out between the ranks, and whoever follows her, put her to death with the sword. For the priest said, Let her not be put to death in the house of the Lord. So they seized her, and when she arrived at the entrance of the horse gate of the king's house, they put her to death there. Then Jehoiada made a covenant between himself and all the people and the king, that they would be the Lord's people. And all the people went to the house of Baal and tore it down. And they broke in pieces his altars and his images, and killed Matan the priest of Baal before the altars. Moreover, Jehoiada placed the offices of the house of the Lord under the authority of the Levitical priests, whom David had assigned over the house of the Lord, to offer the burnt offerings of the Lord, as it is written in the law of Moses, with rejoicing and singing according to the order of David. He stationed the gatekeepers of the house of the Lord, so that no one would enter who was in any way unclean. He took the captains of hundreds, the nobles, the rulers of the people, and all the people of the land, 
and brought the king down from the house of the Lord, and came through the upper gate to the king's house. And they placed the king upon the royal throne. So all the people of the land rejoiced, and the city was quiet, for they had put Athaliah to death with the sword. I don't know about you, but I got a lot out of today's reading as I was going through it. There is so much in here that was not in the Kings, and there's so much background, and you get to see what God was doing behind the scenes this whole time. And the overarching theme you can see from this passage of Scripture is that God is at work in so many ways, whether for us or against those who are against him. It's so amazing to see that. And so we see several examples of that, especially in the, the life of Jehoshaphat. So you see Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, go to him and say, Why are you helping the wicked and loving those who hate the Lord? And so instead of the Lord taking vengeance on him, he says, There is some good in you. Because you've done good things to seek the Lord, and you have chosen to seek him with your heart. But what he's addressing here is the fact that he had made an alliance with King Ahab, who we know is an evil king. And now that Ahab is dead, it's almost like God's telling him, you need to purge all the evil out of your life. And that includes the bad influences that are in your life. Because the people are going to drag you down. And we see that throughout the Bible, right? We see individuals bringing other people down with them to their level when they are ungodly. So my caution for you and for me is that we should associate with those who are non-believers for the sake of sharing the gospel. But if you know of toxic individuals, you should not be friends with them, first off. But secondly, when the Bible says to not associate with unbelievers, it's talking about those who say they're Christians, but they don't act like Christians. In fact, they're doing the opposite. They may even be spies or double agents for Satan. Those kinds of people we should not associate with, the fakers. But those who are just genuinely lost, we certainly need to associate with them, because how else are they going to hear the gospel? And in his case, we know that King Ahab was a bad king, and he was a bad influence, and so he's telling Jehoshaphat, stay away from that guy, and stay away from anyone who is associated with him. And then I love how he commissions these judges in all the cities, because he's telling them, look, when you're judging the people, you're not doing it for me. Consider what you're doing. For you are not judging for man, but you are judging for the Lord who is with you when you render judgment. Now then, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Be very careful what you do. For the Lord our God will have no part in unrighteousness or partiality or the taking of a bribe. Very, very beautiful language that is completely applicable to us. We should not judge other people, right? 
This is not the first time you see this. Jesus talks about it a lot. We should not be judging other people because we are all sinners. And who am I to judge the sin of someone else when I myself am guilty of the same thing? Well, I don't murder people. Well, yeah, but what does Jesus say? That even if you hate somebody in your heart, you're angry against somebody in your heart, you're murdering them in your heart. It's the same thing. And so he's cautioning the people, judge according to God's standards. Because he wants you to be righteous. He does not want you to pick favorites. There is no partiality with God. And he doesn't take bribes. He is not persuaded to change his judgment just for the sake of money. So certainly that should not be us either. So this is directly applicable to us. So we talked about that last time, right? Life applications. This is a life application. If you need to underline this or highlight it in your Bible, there's a life application for you right there. And that's typically how sermons go, and that's how Bible studies go, is you find something like this that just stands out to you, and then you look through the rest of the scriptures. Where is this theme repeated? And you're going to find this particular theme repeated in several places throughout the Bible. That's how you do Bible study. Until you get into drilled into your head, hey, this is what is expected of me from God, and therefore I must obey it. Be very careful what you do. For the Lord our God will have no part in unrighteousness, or partiality, or the taking of a bribe. Let the fear of God be upon you. For you do not judge for man, but for the Lord who is with you. Chapter 20 is yet another good example of how a king should act. He was afraid when he saw that all these people were going to go up against the kingdom of Judah, and he got all the kingdom together. We need to talk to the Lord, and we need to ask for his deliverance. And what you look at the way that he prayed, and this is something that I wanted to discuss, because I don't think we pray right. And that includes me. I don't think we always pray correctly. Not that it matters the words necessarily, and it has to be ritualistic in style. It's not, that's not what I'm talking about. But I've noticed a pattern with the way people pray. And it shows that we know that he is jealous for his name's sake, right? Throughout the Bible, we see that God will defend his people but he will also defend his name. And at the same time, in this particular context, the people of Judah are attached to his name because he put his name there in Jerusalem, remember, at the temple. So at this point in history, the kingdom of Judah is synonymous with the Lord because they are in a covenant relationship. Judah represents God, and God represents Judah because God put his name in Judah. So if either of those things are profaned or challenged, then God will be aroused to go and do something about it. And so you see this appeal that Jehoshaphat is doing with the Lord. Not that the Lord needs to be convinced of anything. That's not the point. But God likes it when we appeal to what he's already told us. 
and how we understand who he is. Because he tells him, Lord, you are the God of our fathers. Are you not the God of the heavens? Are you not ruler over all the kingdoms of the world? Didn't you drive the people out of this land for us? And now they want to take us out of the land. Lord, what are you going to do in response? Your name is in this house. And we cry to you in our distress, and you will hear and deliver us. He's not commanding him, but he understands the dynamic. He understands that God will, if we are obedient to him, and we put our trust and our faith in him by his namesake, he will respond. That's how he is predictable in this way. And God is predictable in some ways. And God answers in such a powerful way. He picked someone within the crowd to give his word to them. He said, do not fear or be dismayed. He said that two or three times. Do not fear or be dismayed. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. The battle is not yours, but it's God's. Just like God is sovereign all of creation, he's guiding us through life, through his will. We are never in control. We never have been, but yet somehow we like to convince ourselves like we have power to have control over our life, and we really don't. That might be hard for some of us to hear that I have no independence in that way. But when you're God's children, a good father guides his children because they don't know better, right? Think about if you have kids, right? When they're young, they don't know anything. They don't know better. We're responsible for teaching them what's right and wrong and guiding them. They won't know to look both ways when you cross a street unless you tell them to do it. And God does the same with us. He guides us, and we just need to listen to him. The battle was always God's to begin with, but now God is reminding him. The battle's not yours, but God's. You not and then he goes, he even takes it a step further. You need not fight in this battle. You go out and station yourselves. You go out to battle, but you won't even have to fight. Stand and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. The Lord will be with you. And he does that. There's three groups that were going to go against Judah, and they turned on each other and wiped themselves out. They wiped each other out in the viewing of the kingdom of Judah. How amazing is that? Not only that, but God even went a step further, and isn't he the God of multiplication? They were all dead out in the battlefield, and there was so much loot. There was so many things to take from the spoil that they couldn't carry them all. It took them three whole days to take all the stuff because there's so much stuff. That is above and beyond. God does that, doesn't he? He never does the bare minimum for us. He won the battle for them. And that could have been good enough. But God lavishes us with blessings and with grace and with mercy and compassion and reward. Doesn't he? He gave them the victory. If I were Jehoshaphat, that would have been enough for me. Right? 
Lord, you're telling me that I'm going to go out into the battlefield and you're going to be, be there with me? And I'm going to have victory in your name? Amen. Let's go. And God could have said, yeah, I'm going to give you victory and that's it. And that would have been fine, right? But how good of a father is, is he? I'm going to give you the victory. You won't even have to do anything. Just watch and see. And then I'm going to even give you all of their stuff. And it's going to be so much that it's going to take you days to recover all this loot. How amazing is that? And that's why they called it the, what it did. They called it the Valley of Baraka. And this word Baraka is actually the Hebrew word for blessing. So this is the Valley of Blessings because the Lord blessed them so heavily on this. And then at the end of it all, just like he has said he would do in his covenant, because they were obedient to the Lord, he not only had the dread of him on the nations around them, they were all afraid to mess with Judah, but secondly, God gave them rest. He gave them peace in the land because they were obedient to him. And we see that Jehoshaphat worked and walked with God for the rest of his life, except for one thing. He fulfilled the prophecy of Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, that said, why are you allying yourself with wicked people and thus condemning yourself? Because we see that at the end of his story that he allied himself with Israel again, and we know Israel was never righteous. And so he himself was not bad, but he allied himself with bad people. And that caused the favor of the Lord to leave him, and it frustrated their plans of trying to go to Tarshish, which is around modern-day Spain. They were trying to go to Ophir for gold, I assume, but he entered into a bad alliance, and therefore the ships were never allowed to leave. Then we go to King Jehoram, who in 2 Kings is called Joram, but it's the same guy. He is an evil king. The first thing he does when he takes over is, first of all, they all receive an inheritance, all the, all the sons and daughters of, of, the king, of King Jehoshaphat get some sort of inheritance, and it's a lavish inheritance. But the kingdom goes to Jehoram because he's the firstborn, and that's, that's typical for the time period. But to secure his kingdom, he kills all his family members. And that is such an evil act. I don't understand how anybody would be motivated to do that to begin with. But but he did it. He was 32 years old, and he only reigned for eight years. So he died at the age of 40. And we see part of the reason why he was the way he was. Because it said that he married the daughter of Ahab. And we know that the family of Ahab is deeply evil. And so that is why many times in the Bible, especially when it comes to the people of Israel, you, they, they were told to marry within their own people. Not necessarily like marry your cousin kind of thing, but talking about stay within your tribe, stay within Israel, because you know what Israel stands for. Israel's allegiance is to the Lord. And if you marry outside of Israel your allegiance is going to be divided. 
because your wife probably doesn't follow the Lord. And so you're going to be in the process of worshiping God, but then you want to please your wife and make her happy, so then you're going to allow her or even convince yourself to start worshiping Baal or something else. That's why it's so important. And even in the New Testament, this is not a, a new concept because it is cautioned throughout the Bible that one should marry another believer. A Christian should marry another Christian. And the Bible talks clearly about the difficulty there is in marrying missionary style. What I'm talking about is that missionary dating. A Christian trying to date and marry a non-Christian. The Bible doesn't say you cannot do that, but there are a lot of difficulties with it, and it's highly discouraged. And so we see the same kind of thing here. There's a reason why God says these things in the Bible. Because in this way, it poisons your heart, and it will make your life more difficult. It is much easier to marry someone who is a believer in the Lord. And it is proper. So the Lord knew that he was going to be a bad king, and he wanted to destroy him, but he, at the same time, he is faithful in his promises. And he promised King David that he was not going to destroy his family, even though this was the time to do it. So what he did was he did other things, which, according to this, it said, the Lord stirred up the nations around them. He instigated them in order to go against this king. Jehoram was a very evil man because not only did he kill all his siblings, which is a, a disgusting act, but we see here that Elijah pronounces judgment against him from the Lord. Because you have done evil, you have played the harlot, just like Israel has. You are worshiping false gods. You are doing evil things. You've murdered your family. Everything is going to get taken from you, and you're going to suffer a painful, painful death with a disease in your bowels. That is... wouldn't wish that upon anybody. That is terrible pain. And so that's what he had coming for him. And I like this part as well at the end of the chapter where it says, He was 32 years old and he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem eight years. And he departed with no one's regret. Wow. God is saying here that nobody missed him. What a way to go, right? What a way to go. Nobody missed him. And they didn't even bury him with the other kings because he wasn't even worthy to be buried with the other kings. So that is interesting. So then what, what kind of throws you off if you're not paying attention here is we read in Second Kings that Jehoahaz is the one that takes over as king after him. But then we see here Ahaziah. They're the same person. Ahaziah here is Jehoahaz. It's the same person. And he is a nephew of King Ahaziah of Israel. And he's actually the grandson of Ahab, because remember, his mom is Ahab's daughter. So Grandpa Ahab, his influence is still in this family. And he also did evil in the sight of the Lord. 
And we know that his mother, Athaliah, is going to be a very uh, pivotal person here in the process. So, because she's going to try and become queen after the death of Ahaziah here. And that's exactly what happens. We know the rest of this story where we see the rising up of Jehu through God and striking down Ahaziah and all those that are evil. And God used Jehu to purge Judah of all this evil. Athaliah got to survive that, and she put herself as queen. So at one point, Israel did have a queen, like a crown, like a queen that ruled, which is the first and only one that I know of. And then we see a very righteous man, Jehoiada, the priest, fight for what was promised to the kingdom of Judah, and that was to keep King David's family alive. And he wanted to do what also a god wanted, which was to cleanse and to purge all the evil from the land. And so that's what we see being done here, and we know the rest of the story, that they're protecting Joash, who is only seven years old at this time, and in order so that he they may preserve the family line, then after he's old enough, then they cause Athaliah to be killed and established a seven-year-old on the, on the throne, which is what we'll see tomorrow. That is very familiar to us, so there's not much to talk about here, but a lot of good stuff we learned today, a lot of good reminders and a good view of behind the scenes what was going on and what the activity that God was doing in these things. And do you see the common thread? All of this was orchestrated by God. God is in direct control of our destinies. He always has been. And it's humbling to think about it. But at the same time, that should give us hope and confidence. This same God who did all these things in the Bible that we've read so far is the same God that is guiding you. He's never failed in anything. And so surely we can put our trust in him and that he'll take us to the best place possible. So that's why Jesus says, do not worry about tomorrow. And that's why Paul says, don't be anxious about anything because God's in control. He always has been, and he wants you to let him have control. He doesn't need you, and you can't stop him. But isn't it much easier to go with someone in cooperation than being dragged along? And certainly it would go better for us if we participated and cooperated as well, right? Not because we're doing it out of begrudgment, but because we love the Lord and we want to please Him. And we love what He does for us. That's why we do it. Our motivations matter. Well, that's all I have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.